everyone, I'm Madeline Parr, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. For season two of Style Stories, I want to get out of the house, but find a place where I still felt at home, like Lucio's, the iconic Italian restaurant known for its colour and charm. My guests tip their hat to Lucio's by seasoning their stories with a taste of art, food and family, but always bringing to the table their unique sense of style. And in order to take advantage of our beautiful surroundings, we've also filmed every episode. So if you're hungry for a little more style stories, watch the whole interview at madelinepark.co. Today, I'm chatting with fashion designer Gary Bagini, known in the industry as much for his considerate hand on draping as he is for his flamboyant personal style. Whilst Gary's designs pay reverence to a woman's shape, they also embrace his love of art and sometimes even food, making him an ideal guest at Lucio's. Having designed chef's uniforms, Gary is almost as popular in the food community as he is in the fashion world and cites Melissa Leong of MasterChef fame as one of his nearest and dearest. Despite the colourful bravado, it's his grounded nature and hardworking ethos that makes him so likeable and helps us come to understand the pure joy that comes with his bright and sometimes brazen style. Given Gary's defining style, it only seemed fitting to let him take charge of his look. I have, however, injected a little of my own colour with a reclaimed double rainbow shirt available at madelinepark.co. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Gary's story. Gary, thank you so much for joining me here today. You're um, welcome. I, we've never actually met before, no. even though we've both been around for a little while. Yeah. Um, but I think your reputation in the fashion industry for being very bright and, you know, like loving colourful, playful patterns um, precedes you. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely noticed you across a room before. <laughs> uh, so I just want to start off by kind of getting into who you are and how you've come to have this great kind of sense of colour and print in your own style. Did you, did you have a colourful upbringing and a playful household or...? Um, I guess I'm youngest of four, um, raised by a single mum. I, I, little bits and pieces. I guess I always was, like, creating my own vision, like, with things. Like, you know, um, how do you say? Um, yeah, little bits and pieces. Like, I always was exorbitant to colour and... Um, I'm hearing impaired as well, so I was right. born hearing impaired, so I, I wear hearing aids and, like, a lot of the time I wouldn't hear, but I could, like, my eyes where my ears... Right. ...and, I, you know, like, to absorb things. So I was always attracted to, like, colour and shapes and recognised with that growing up. So I kind of feel like that's where it kind of all started for me, where, yeah. you know, d- developing, you know, a colour palette of, like, what I wanted to wear and, yeah, it was very, yeah... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in a family of four. Yeah. Um, and so what was the makeup? You were the baby. I'm the baby, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. lots of attention. Uh, mostly, I think, by my, from my mum um, yeah. being the youngest, but uh, I had two older sisters and an older brother. And I was always um, 
very just fascinated with like clothing from a young age. Yeah. Like, um, I like Barbie was probably my first client. I was always obsessed with with wanting <laughs> to get show. my hands on Barbies. <laughs> um, and I, you know, being the youngest, I never had one, but I kind of would, um, you know, all the girls in our street, we would play like, you know, Barbies and. I was trying to always work out a way how I would get a few from them to take home so I could play with them all yeah. the time. So we would play this game in the backyard where we're like, okay, I'm going to go hide these Barbies yeah. and then we'll play hide and seek with them and you'll have to find them. And then I was throwing them over my shoulder and into my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> so it's then your way of manipulating. And manipulating yeah, them. And then I'd got like, you know, the, they would finish and then I would go home and, you know, round up the Barbies and go inside and wait till everyone was asleep yeah. and then be washing their hairs and making little handmade outfits for them. Yeah. But I would always go in my mum's wardrobe and cut up her dresses. Oh, how did that go? Oh, not well. <laughs> yeah. she did, it took her a while to figure it out because I would sit in the bottom of the wardrobe and just cut like a big circular circle out of her dresses in a hem and yeah. then go and make all these little pieces for, for Barbie. Yeah. So that's kind of where I felt it started for me in terms of... Um, just your love of fashion. Yeah, love of fashion and um, just always, like, creating things, like, you know, making toys and making characters where I would, you know, make little outfits to wear or, like, all my toys had an outfit. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I guess it kind of started there for me. It was always me. in there for you. Always, yeah. What about your mum and your sisters? Were they Were they into fashion or...? No, not, not like I, I kind of um, always ask, you know, who in our family um, had like a, a passion for design and stuff like that. And I, I mean, I had one auntie who was a really good uh, crochet maker. Um, but I last year I went to, I'm Maltese background. Okay. Yeah. So my parents were born in Malta and last year I went for the first time. Yeah. And I met one of my aunties who was like, really into print and colour and I was like oh my god maybe she like it's from my dad's side of the family yeah. where they love the colour and the print and she just had like 10 different prints. Did your arms tingle like when I you did met her? I was like, I was like just fascinated with her like she yeah. was in she's in her like late 70s but mm. she was like had leopard print with a bit of sequins and I was like oh my god <laughs> like I'm loving this. I so, found Yeah you I found, found this is, yeah and we just we just clicked straight away and oh, so nice. we're just hanging out when yeah. I was there and yeah it was really really nice to relate. Yeah. yeah. What made you go back last year like why is it? Well, it was my first time um going to Malta. Yeah. I don't know I guess as like I I get older and you know, hear stories from my mum about growing up in Malta and um, I guess I, I wanted to go. Like, I wanted to see where my parents were raised and, um, and it's beautiful. Like, yeah. it's so much history and, yeah, it, uh, the water's lovely and, yeah, it was really nice to go back and see because a lot of my family still have the village, you know, the houses that my parents grew up in. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and just to kind of see that history of of where yeah where they came from yeah. I felt was important for me now than it was like Earlier in my 20 yeah life. where yeah. I wasn't was like oh I'm not really interested just yet but now that I'm at my age I, I feel 
I was ready to to go and see it all. Yeah. Yeah. I've been back to my where my family's originally from. I've Greek background and okay. where both sides of my family are from a tiny little island. And I went the first time when I was about eighteen, but. Um, like it's incredible because I'm third generation Australian. Wow! But the connection back to that place was um, kind of chilling. Like yeah. it was just like, whoa! Like I'm feeling something like I've never really like this sixth sense of this place. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if it, it's just one of those things that you've heard the stories so many times mm-hmm. that to then be physically there is just that's just a big emotional impact. Or if there is some other divine force at play, but Absolutely, it's, yeah. um, it's special nonetheless, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, like, seeing all, like, you know, mum never had any, like, pictures of her growing up or right. I never saw any pictures of my dad. So it was just nice to go to my aunties and uncles' houses and see pictures of them. And, like, I, I'm a spit image of my father. Like, I look exactly like my father. So it was kind of weird you know, seeing these little things and, you know, yeah, kind of putting the puzzle together, together, the pieces yeah. together, yeah. 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 So your mum was a single mum? Yeah. So she was working a lot, I imagine? Uh, yeah, all the time. So it was like the four of us and, um, yeah, I guess I was always like um, creating, yeah, my own kind of like... Little world. Little world, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so as a teenager, we were just talking about our love of print media, how you and I both kind of like waited for that one magazine to come out. What what other ways did you kind of express yourself as a teenager? What how did you kind of evolve into this colourful being that you are now? um, I guess just kind of. I was always like colouring my hair as as a teenager. Yeah. Um, just always making things. Like, I, I got my first sewing machine when I was 11. Okay. So I was always cutting things up. Like, I was always buying jeans and, like, bleaching them and cutting them up and then restructuring them back together. And um, just, yeah, I guess it's just um, over a period, just kind of, like, wearing different things and, like, evolving. Like, it never really changed. It just evolved yeah. kind of thing. So. Yeah. I never, like, had different eras where, like, I was more, like, you know, golf or it was always channeling to this kind of um, bright wardrobe kind of thing. So, yeah, kind of as a child, like, I, um, Supra used to be in the 80s and 90s, like, larger women's wear and children's wear. Yeah. So we would always go and, you know, buy, like, pieces of clothing and stuff like that and I was always absorbed to the colour and print yeah so every time like we would buy something like it was my special outfit and it always had to be hung in mum's wardrobe because <laughs> I, I then had to have a um a um dry cleaning bag over the top of it <laughs> because I had to share a room with my brother and we were always like at each other and he yeah. always knew like that that meant a lot to me those yeah, kind right. of pieces so they always had to be hung in mum's wardrobe with a key it. I and love that the supra clothing yeah. was kept at the highest esteem but they were awesome. fun like it was all like bright clothing for kids like you know that 80s yeah. kind of 90s style bit of but hyper colour yeah <laughs> yeah like that kind of stuff and that was always my special outfit and you know like if if I had a fight with my brother he knew like he would either go hide it or, or do something with it. Yeah, yeah. So it had to be in mum's wardrobe so he wouldn't touch 
for that piece, best yeah. protection. Yeah. Uh, and did you grow up in Sydney? Or? I grew up in Sydney. I grew up in, in um, western suburbs. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you went to East Sydney Tech yes. and did design. Was that just like obviously your calling for fashion was there from the very early age, but did you just go straight there from school? Was it? I did. I um, finished school in year 10. Like I had the option to go to year 12, but I... I figured I wanted to do uh, another alternative. So instead of going to year 12, yeah. um, so I, I finished school in year 10 and then I went to TAFE for a year to do a, a power manufacturing course. Right. So it was more the technical side of like pat making and sewing and um, grading and all that kind of side. Mm. And then after I graduated from there, I went to do a um, colour kind of illustration course for a year. Yeah. Um, and then applied for East Sydney and then got in when I was like 18. So yeah. our year was like full of babies fresh from school. Yeah. So majority of our year were like 18 and then there were a few like 20, 21 year olds. But um, we all kind of really connected and related to each other. Yeah. Um, any any um, people that are still in the industry? that Yeah, like there's a few of my friends that have gone off and do different things. Like I've got a friend that's like does handmade tailoring, suiting. Yeah. Um, some have gone into accessory design and then some just went completely opposite direction and, yeah, yeah not into fashion. So. And then you started your label like shortly after that, is that right? Straight away, yeah. basically. Um, after we graduated, I was selected to do the student show for Fashion Week. Okay. So four students every year get selected to do the show. So yes. I was selected for that and I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? Um, I didn't have much money and was waiting for, you know, getting paid for youth allowance from Centrelink. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do it. Um, so I started, I was like, what fabric can I use? So I thought, you know, jersey was um, a cheap fabric to use. So I, I bought all this jersey and sketched up all these designs and just started draping on the mannequin. Yeah. And then created this, like, small... I think I had six weeks to put this little 15-piece collection together. Yeah. Um, so I just started draping and taking pictures and then showing all the teachers, like, this is kind of what I'm thinking of and... Yeah, just basically went from there and just started, like, um, after the show, I was approached by a few buyers and, um, you know, did a small order for them. And then, yeah, just kept kept designing, went off and worked um, casual to support myself. Yeah. And then just from there, the last 17 years, it's just been, like, developing and building and, yeah, like, yeah. hustling and, yeah. But you... It's... I've... Um I have styled a few of those student shows, so met a lot of beautiful emerging designers in the last few years who kind of, you know, are starting off and have all the passion there. Um, but keeping that momentum yeah. up is really tough and it takes a certain confidence to go, no, no, I am actually really going to start my own label, not yeah. go work for a bigger organisation. Where did you have that confidence? Was it just blind faith or were you just, you just knew that you could do it or was I, it? I don't know. I kind of like, I always knew that I could do it, but I was, I've always, always very determined. Yeah. I think, you know, growing up with a single mum, like we were always taught that if you want something, you have to go get it. Nothing's yeah. going to be handed to you. 
Um, so that was kind of, you know, in all of us um, from a young age that we were always working and making our own pocket money and, you know, casually working. And I guess that kind of drive pushed through and developed from there in terms of like, you know, there are going to be days and times where, you know, you're going down the roller coaster many times, but then it's like, you know, you, you've got to pick yourself back up and yeah. um, keep moving forward. Like, that's just it at the end of the day. Like, I always say tomorrow's another day. Let's let's keep keep doing this and just um, just building your confidence as well and, and yeah, what you, you want. Did you get – was there any point where you felt like, oh, this, th- there was a big break that really helped you along and um, – I guess um, – getting more like you know getting more recognition within like the local market and a bit overseas as well mm. um and getting the support from them and also the you know boutiques mm. um you know back in the early 2000 like mid early 2000 like you know being stocked in a boutique was amazing and doing yeah. trunk shows and you know, it was all, you know, presenting all that collateral. In the early 2000s, in Sydney at least, the boutiques, there weren't a lot of them with Australian designers. Not many, no. no. So, it's yeah, they were... kind of not that prevalent in terms of the general market, but yeah. even then it would have been, like, even more challenging, especially as a young designer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I get, I'm quite lucky because I um, got noticed by Belinda Seeper. Yep. who ran all the Belinda boutiques and the corner shop. Yep. Um, I managed to get an appointment with her with my first collection. Mm. Um, no, no, sorry, my second collection. Um, and, yeah, I managed to get an appointment with her and I went to go see her and she kind of took me under her win um, when I first started and mentored me mentored me for a year. Okay. Um, so um, was always I would meet with her like every couple of weeks and she would like look at my designs and um, you know give me feedback. But then she'd put me in her her corner shop stores. Yeah, I love that. Story. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and she gave me like a little space above the corner shop. She had like a up little here in uh, yeah, yeah, just just upstairs. So she let me kind of work up there for a while and. Um, when it came to Fashion Week, she we did a little gorilla show okay. um, where she um, organised all the models. Valance did the hair and makeup and shoes and, like, was really supportive um, through that period mm-hmm. to really, um, you know, have the confidence in myself to keep, to keep moving forward. And the one advice that she always gave me, which I still look at now, is, like, always be known for doing one thing really good within the industry. Yeah. And then when you've, like, nailed it, then go on to do other things. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, started off doing a lot of draping um, in the early days. Mm. Um, and then You kind of become known. For yeah, for, that. like, the draping. And I didn't actually uh, know any technique through school. I was always doing, like, a lot of tailoring. And, yeah. Um, and then when I finished school, that's when I just started experimenting and realized I was had a flair and was really good at doing this so yeah. I was like you know yeah I kept kept doing this and and then I guess as I like slowly progress and time changes um I wanted to like look at different fabrications and silhouettes you know more tailoring and a, a, like a bit of silks and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. so one of the things that um you're known for in terms of your designs is that 
you you have a very considerate hand on a woman's body shape. Um, do you think that that's got any relationship to the women in your life, or um, is it you know by chance because you started working with jersey and draping and and that just lent itself to having to be really considerate of the female form or um i i guess it probably relates back to a lot to family like um i was always making you know dresses for my older sisters when i was younger and just a lot of friends as well so i i kind of um was always around that yeah so, yeah it's like and but just i was also always realistic about when designing and making things that, you know, a body needs a bit of ease, a bit of movement to feel comfy and to fit right. So I guess it's like been a lot of trial and error over the years of like, you know, getting friends to try stuff on and getting their feedback and, but just also understanding, yeah, that it's, it's, you know, you want everyone to relate to it kind of thing. So, yeah. And in terms of your profiling your designs, um, again, another thing is that you, you kind of exercise a level of restraint in terms of colour and pattern. How does that um, reconcile with how you dress? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I never used to think of it up until like a couple of years ago, like when I would, you know, have a buyer's appointment and like buyers would come through and I'd be like, like the collection would be like really muted and colour palette yeah. and then there's this big bright person on the end of the rack selling the collection going oh my god (laughs) god like who like this is not your collection like how how is it relating i guess i always um thought like it it didn't i i don't know kind of always felt like it never needed to puzzle together in terms of like like you find like a lot of designers are like in line with their how their brand is Mm -hmm. but i always kind of felt like with my personal wardrobe, just kind of putting things together and not thinking about it, I kind of looked at, like, I didn't really feel like I needed to, like, synchronise back then and, like, a flow of, like, oh, we can tell that you designed this collection. It was more about the the um, the silhouette and the creation within the body and the colours, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So, um but as I progressed um, with the collections, like a lot of people were like, where is you in your collection? And yeah. I want to see more of your kind of personal persona within the collection. And probably in the last probably five years, six years, I've kind of slowly introduced more of my colour palette, more of my print. And a few more polka dots. Yeah, <laughs> more polka dot, a bit of leopard more print. and. <laughs> People, people were getting excited by it. Like, yeah. you know, the press were and buyers were like, oh, my God, like, this is so you. And I, I guess I kind of, like, it felt like a click kind of thing to, like, oh, okay, like, this is what, you know, my buyers are wanting from me. Like, yeah. you know, and I guess over time it's um, it's important. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying it more by making it more about putting myself in there like I think also like you know going back to what we're talking about with print media and um social media and how media is changing I Mm. think there's an expectation that like so much more of yourself has to come into everything that you do um so I guess like it was okay before potentially for you to have that level of separation but 
you are as much um, part of the brand as your clothes are. Absolutely. And so there's kind of like a pool for you to bring yeah. more. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Like I, you know, like, yeah, working with a creative team um, helps a lot as well. Have you got a lot of people working with you? I do. I mean, I, I'm like in terms of the creative teams, like working with stylists and photographers and stuff yeah. like that, like... Yeah. I'm very lucky over the, you know, the, the course of my career that I've been, you know, blessed to um, work with a lot of really talented people that believe in me and my product. And yeah. I guess... And they do. You've yeah. been very, like, I've been in the industry for 10 years, but you've been cel- very celebrated through that time. Yeah. Um, very lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. And they've turned into, like, really amazing friendships as well beyond, like, our working relationship. Yeah just for that connection but it's just it's nice to like have people around you that believe in you and believe in what you do I think that's really important Mm. as any creative to like be surrounded by people that are going to have your back and yeah and like they always say like when you know people can suggest things but you have to experience it and understand it before you I find before you do it, if that makes sense, yeah. like, like oh, you should do this and you should do that, and like, but if you feel like it doesn't resonate, you, with, you. resonate with you, then you got to wait till it does, and then yeah. you do it. Because then, if you do it because other people are telling you, like, it feels too contrived. Yeah, it's and then you you're not doing it right, or it's yeah. not it's not kind of hitting the right kind of stakes or where you want it to go. But then once you see it and recognise it, then I find, like, it works better. Yeah. 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 So, um, life's kind of thrown a few challenges your way recently. Yeah. How has that impacted you creatively? Um, it's, it's changed a lot. Um, I was, like, when I was kind of, you know, going through that period, I was told by a friend who experiencing experienced something um, similar to that a year before that you know 80% of it is your mind yeah so I was really um, making sure my mind was at a good place um, in terms of you know being around great family and friends but also I was still wanting to create um, things to keep my mind at peace um, and it, it's changed a lot like it's it's makes it's made me put a lot of things in perspective of um, just really enjoying it, really yeah. enjoying what I want to do when, um, like, life is, like, way more... Like, it's important to, like, enjoy who you are and what you do. And I, I, I guess I always had that, but now I feel like it's a 100 times more. Yeah. Where um, I'm really loving what I'm doing and you know going through that period you kind of work out what you want to do and what you don't and you kind of let go of the things that so what are some things you've let go of that you feel like just aren't priorities ah working till like 2am in the morning (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of doing that for a while and thinking that that was like normal but like it's 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 not and like you know socializing more with friends and um just um yeah, just like I always was um, 
always working and trying to get like jam a lot in but yeah. now it's like it's it's okay if something doesn't get done it's I'm not going to stress about it yeah it'll get done another time and just really space stuff out and and what are you holding on to it's actually I've just uh finished a series through COVID and uh obviously that's a time for people to reflect on their priorities as well mm-hmm. and one of the questions I've been asking is you know what what are the things you've been holding on to as as important to you? Um, I guess um, just things that are important to me. It's just like like believing in who you are and what you do. Yeah. Um, you know, enjoy it. Like, just don't stress about things. Just enjoy the process and... Being in the moment. Yeah, being in the moment. And things happen for a reason. Like, mm. you know, like if something is not happening now, not to say that it won't happen later. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just I just want to enjoy what I do and I, I want to surround myself with, with being creative and doing creative things and... Yeah. Um, yeah. And has, um, have you kind of found some inspiration for your collections through this time or moving forward, like your future collections, what do they kind of hold? Um, well, I've, over during COVID, I, um, decided that I wanted to kind of pull things apart a little bit and work on a more pre-order kind of direction with, my brand um, because I was uh, constantly doing like collection after collection and I found that I wasn't really getting to enjoy the the end result because it was like too fast too fast and then handed over and then boom you're on to the next thing yeah so I wanted I I feel moving forward I want to kind of make it a pre pre pre-order kind of collection and um, do little small capsules so I'm actually enjoying and um, taking my time with them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, still doing little shoots and working with um, creative team, but um, just kind of spread it out a bit more, yeah. Yeah. So I one of the questions I ask is, you know, when, when um, you're 70 years old, do you imagine yourself still in the same kind of clothes like in the bright <laughs> playful so. yeah <laughs> I feel like I, I like I I mean my wardrobe is just full of color and print and I like I don't think about it when I'm putting something on I just put it on yeah so you know I think that will be with me for life so yeah. as you know as long as I'm able to dress up but it's you know it's purely for me like I get a lot of energy and love when I'm dressed up and yeah. I, you know, I've got nail polish on or my hair's coloured or I've got my bright outfit on. Like, I feel a lot of energy and love for myself. What What's the next hair colour? Because there's been many iterations of it. Oh, I, <laughs> I I'm going to, I love the fluoro yellow. Like, yeah. it's, um, I'm going to stay with this for a while. Yeah. Um... And I don't know, maybe another fluoro, like a fluoro pink or... Yeah. But, yeah, maybe next year. But I'm, I'm happy with this, this colour. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. And sharing your style story. It's been lovely to finally meet you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> That's my pleasure. <laughs>
As a child with a hearing impairment, Gary learnt to use his eyes as a vehicle to taste the world around him, and he had a feast, layering himself in colour, print and pattern. It's this childlike wonderment of the world that defines his forever young style. But beneath the polka dots and candy colours lies a hard-working, humble man who pays respect to his mother and sisters by designing collections that offer ease and elegance to the female form. Despite recent health battles, Gary's outlook remains sunny and he continues to cast colour and joy onto the world around him. If you enjoyed this episode of Style Stories, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening.